our, our mission and our thesis really is very contrarian in our space, or at least it has been for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. in that we, we strongly believe in, in the, the value of active management for a certain type of client um, versus traditional robo-advisors that are primarily you know, pumping passive as the, the end-all be-all. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. In the wake of investment firm Vanguard's success, robo-advisors continue to usher in the era of indexed passive investing. Titan is a contrarian investment platform, which offers investment strategies used by hedge funds for retail investors. Titan co-founder and co-CEO Clayton Gardner joins us to discuss why he built a financial technology firm centered around active investing and what type of investors and clients this approach appeals to. Titan has also grown using organic and referral customer acquisition strategies, which combine incentivizing users to share Titan with their friends by reducing the AUM fees clients pay Titan, sometimes even down to zero. Titan's users are unusually active and involved in their investing, even if they count on Titan to make their allocation and investment selection decisions. Clayton Gardner is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to invite you to Tearsheet's latest event, the Embedded Conference. A big theme on this program and on our reporting in general has been about how financial services are showing up everywhere, in B2B software platforms, in retail, in transportation, and in travel. The Embedded Conference brings together financial services, fintech, and vertical industries looking to create new financial products. We've got a great speaker lineup. Register today at early bird prices by going to our website and clicking on the Embedded Conference button at the top right of your screen. Here's my conversation with Clay. So my name is Clay Gardner. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Titan. Uh, Titan is an investment app built like a hedge fund. So our mission is to democratize hedge fund investing and other forms of uh, sort of elite investment products that historically have not been available to the masses. They've been available to only the, you know, the top 1% or so. And so we're a mobile app. Um, we invest your money uh, directly into portfolios and we explain everything that's driving your money along the way. So the experience that a hedge fund investor would get having millions or tens of millions of dollars invested, we let retail investors uh, invest in uh, with much less and a much better experience. So, so this is definitely a departure from like sort of the messaging behind some of the early robo advisors, right? Like, which was stay away from sort of active investing and just, you know, index and, and, and like, can, can you talk about where the idea came from, I guess, to, to, to go in that direction, the active versus passive, uh, at least approach? Definitely. And you're, you're spot on that our, our mission and our thesis really is very contrarian in our space, or at least it has been for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. in that we, we strongly believe in, in the, the value of active management for a certain type of client. Um, versus traditional robo-advisors that are primarily you know, pumping passive as the, the end-all be-all. Um, yeah, in terms of our story, we, I, know I started investing when I was 12 years old, actually. Um, you know, my parents let me invest some of my chore money, uh, the little that I had in, in, in some stocks. Um, What'd really you buy cool. when you were 12? Um, I think Google had just recently IPO'd. Um, I, knew, I knew absolutely nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and plus probably 10 or other 20 other stocks that um, you know, I sort of, I sort of heard about on Jim Cramer's Mad Money and these other and like financial blogs. I um, had no idea what I was doing. And um, like many folks know, from the early kind of post.com bust uh, part of the 2000s through the 2008, 2009, beginning of the financial crisis, pretty much every stock in the U.S. went up. And so, you know, I felt like a genius the first five years of investing you know, as like a kid in high school. Um, I went to college, uh, went to business school at Penn, and uh, the world kind of blew up. Uh, my first semester, this was fall 2008. Um, and, and virtually every stock fell. Um, I lost a ton of money um, and it really hurt. And I promised myself um, I would make sure I understood how, uh, how to actually invest properly. Um, I would not take 
uh, you know, stock tips, things I heard from others for granted. I would do my own research, come to my own convictions, and then decide. And so it ended up being the start of a very long and winding path in professional investing after I graduated, working in hedge funds, working in private equity to understand how some of the best money managers actually allocate capital. Um, funny story is my first day of school and college, I met my co-founder, Joe. And Joe and I had very similar passions, similar interests in investing, but we ended up taking very different paths over the next call it five to 10 years. So Joe actually went into consulting. Um, he was top of his class in investment banking, and I went more direct investing route. Um, but we stayed in close touch. And over the years, our path, you know, we stayed very close personally, but our investing paths started to diverge a bit in the sense that I, you know, I, 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 I abided by what I told myself I would do. I, I learned professional investing at private equity firms, at hedge funds. But Joe, you know, top of his class, Goldman Sachs banking, um, actually had very little money invested. He, he, despite having gone to business school, having worked in some of the top consulting firms, um, had no idea how to invest his own money. And so this just seemed like there's this massive divide um, between folks that are in the industry uh, and have the, have the money, um, you know, have the status to access these managers versus folks that are still very smart, very educated, but maybe just don't work in investing full time. And so that idea had been brewing for years. And a few years ago, we ultimately decided to leave our, our jobs and pursue a solution to that. And so the solution today with Titan is you know, taking the investment experiences and products that are available to the top 1% uh, in terms of you have to have a certain amount of money, you have to have a certain amount of access and relationships, and we're democratizing those. We're making those accessible to the masses. And I can talk a little bit about how we're doing that. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. And then I'd like to segue into um, talking about who that target user is because you sort of just hit upon that now. Um, but, but let's talk about the, you know, the, the first part. Yeah, so the the course, so we're an investment app, we're an SEC registered investment advisor. And so folks have likely heard of, of companies like Wealthfront and Betterment and some of the original robo advisors. Yeah, they've um, all been on this program back in the early yeah. days. Yeah. 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 And so the idea is that, you know, using software, you can take a lot of what historically, uh, you know, human financial planners would do for you, which is, you know, come up with an investment strategy, a combination of stocks, bonds, uh, all the rest, asset classes, ETFs, and invest your money across these and occasionally rebalance and and maybe get on the phone with you a few times a year, but that was a very archaic manual process 20 years ago. Um, about 10 years ago, the advent of robo-advisors made that much more automated, much more uh, tech-enabled. So software now does a lot of that automated financial planning, a lot of that passive investment strategy. Um, we came at it, you know, ha having, you know, I, I studied computer science in college and, and I've always been fascinated with technology, came at it from the lens of, well, why hasn't software been used in the active management space, right? So hedge funds and private equity firms and all of these professional investors that, that try to, uh, you know, essentially outperform, um, you know, the market averages, why aren't they using software better? And, and if they did use software, could we make their strategies accessible to the masses? And so that's what we've done today. So we have one financial product and we have over $35 million of, of retail investor money. So this is not the, the top 1% folks. These are folks from all walks of life. I can talk a little bit about that demographic, but um, you know, we're, we're a classic case of you know, wanting to use software to, to retrofit um, an industry that's been around for a while, but for some reason just hasn't caught up. Interesting. So, so let's, yeah, let's do talk about the, the, target, the target user. Um, you said they're not the top 1%, but obviously they appreciate, I guess, an active approach and, and the hedge fund approach. Definitely. I would characterize our core customer as a young professional and uh, young is a broad range. So folks, you know, uh, in their depends how 20s. old you are when you say young. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, folks in their early twenties when they graduate, when they're, you know, they're either in college or recent graduates into the workforce, 
um, all the way up until you know the millennial generation. I think is is, is technically into their forties at this point. And so, you know, our core customers is is someone who is a young professional. Um, a lot of them tend to be specialists. So so probably many of the listeners uh, on this program, you know, either specializing in you know whether it's product development or engineering consulting. We have a lot of doctors, dentists, lawyers. And so the one common thread about them is not necessarily how much income they're making um, or their investment experience. It's that number one, they, they're specialists in their domain. So they value specializing and being the absolute best at their craft, but they don't have the time and resources to apply that same specialist approach to investing, right? And so they don't want to forfeit you know, to average returns. They don't want to be invested in a black box strategy. Um, they want something a little more active but just certainly don't have the time, resources, or experience to do it themselves. And so we kind of fill that gap where maybe a traditional passive robo-advisor is a little too hands-off, a little too average, quote-unquote, uh, whereas you know, do-it-yourself you know, brokerage, like a, maybe an E-Trade or a Robinhood or something like that, is a little bit too active. It's a little bit too hands-on. And so we fill that void for those folks. And so how, how are you reaching those before to acquire them as new users? So that, there's a lot of, you know, so primarily our growth has been organic. And so word of mouth and referral strategy, I could talk about mm -hmm. our program and the, some of the changes we made to that and how that's worked out. Um, but, you know, in terms of, of paid acquisition, um, you know, we really think backwards from, you know, where is, is that core client um, engaging? Where are they spending time today? So it tends to be there's a lot of like trade publications, right? So there's, you know, specific uh, industry newsletters, um, uh, you know, you can sign up for different email newsletters, mm -hmm. um, blogs. Um, you know, and then there's obviously traditional paid social, um, but that, that in our view is a, is a pretty saturated channel, like the Facebooks and Instagrams of the world. So um, easy, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for a certain type of, of consumer, a certain type of, you know, um, you know, investment profile that can actually be a, still a very attractive, mm -hmm. um, you know, part of the market. But for us, I would characterize it as definitely a primarily organic strategy. Um, and so I can talk about how, how are we generating that word of mouth? How we're generating that referral, uh, the, the, that referral rate. Yeah, let's let's hear. We definitely so a lot of we like to talk about marketing strategies and, and learn from one another on the show. So, um, anything you're willing to share, we'd love to hear. Yeah. So when we started Titan, you know, uh, I, I mentioned the investment strategy that we're democratizing. Um, the second objective of ours is to help people actually understand what they're investing in. Um, so this concept of content and media, um, we personally find fascinating, and we find that it's been super underutilized in active investing. And so when I say content, I mean, think about all the news outlets, the financial media, you know, the, the CNBCs and Bloomberg's of the world um, that people are tapping into to figure out what the heck they own. You know, if the stock's up 20%, down 20%, what should they be doing? Should they be buying, selling? Um, that content is, is mission critical to people making good investment decisions, but it's super fragmented and there's no quote unquote source of truth, right? For someone's money. And so the second objective of ours is not just to, um, you know, to democratize investment strategies, but to help people understand how the strategies are performing and why. Uh, a natural byproduct of that is that the content that we create in-house gets shared amongst our client base and it gets forwarded to other prospective clients. So, that, you know, folks, families and friends, et cetera. And so that, that was a big driver of, of word of mouth for us, right? It's like the companies that, that our clients own at Titan, you know, mm -hmm. every single day in the market opens, there's activity, right? There's events. A lot of it is noise. A lot of it's fundamental news uh, that we have a say, that we have a voice on, we have we have a, a view on, and so we we closely engage with our clients on that, and that content gets forwarded. And so it can be videos, you know, short bite-sized videos, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of carousel image images that explain what's, what's driving their money, um, mm -hmm. you know, 
short articles, and we have an email newsletter, et cetera. So in a nutshell, a lot of the traditional media strategies um, that, that kind of, you know, the barstool sports of the world, for example, you know, like I think like that media strategy has been very underutilized for our core customer base in investing. And I think you have to be an active investing platform to be able to use that. It's kind of hard to, you know, if you're a passive robo advisor, I don't know if I personally would be interested in like knowing the broad strokes macro perspective every morning. I feel like it would not change much, but when it comes down to owning specific companies, we found that our clients are super interested in, in the goings on in those companies. And uh, the more we can engage with them on that, the, the natural benefit is that that content gets shared and that drives a new client acquisition for us. So, so that's actually something I really wanted to talk about because, you know, we, we, we tend to think of um, investors in, in, in robo-advisors, at least, as being more passive and hands-off. They're letting the, the platform do the investing for them. But you have a different type of user at the end of the day. It sounds like even though they're not necessarily making a buy-sell decision, they're, they want to be on top of everything. Can you talk a little bit about, like, I guess, their, their psychological makeup, I guess? Yeah, I think it's, it's a very aspirational uh, kind of psychological view um, that our clients have, I would characterize it as wanting to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's like, well, what would it, what would it take to be the smartest person in the room? It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean IQ. It doesn't mean where you went to school. It means how, when it comes to investing, it means how well do you understand the companies you own? Do you understand them well enough to be able to argue the bull case you know, why this company may be a great, you know, long-term investment or as well as you can articulate the bear case, you know, why this company could potentially, you know, face, tons of competition and the stock could be overvalued. And so because again, we're targeting a specialist young professional, that specialist tends to have that kind of similar aspirational aspect to, to their investing strategy. So they want to be the smartest person in the room. And I think with passive investing, it's, that's just a totally different type of consumer. It's pretty rare that you find someone who's super interested in actively engaging with their money. Um, but it's also okay parking it in a portfolio of 10 to 20 ETFs that are in each of those ETFs are invested in probably hundreds of securities. And, and even if that advisor wanted to run a strategy like Titan is running, you know, there's only so much you can talk about with the, you know, the hundred stock emerging market ETF, right? And so the more it's spread out your money is, the more diversified you are in, in fintech, we found that you kind of spread yourself thin as a content creator. And so our mission is, is to democratize investment products. And we can talk about other ones that we may uh, be adding down the road, but we want to make sure that we stay concentrated enough so that we're not creating too much noise for our clients. We want to make sure there's a very high signal to noise ratio. So I, I do want to hear about like kind of what's in the product pipeline in a bit, but um, can we, can we go back to, I know we're skipping around, but can we go back to your referral strategy? Um, you said you made some changes there and kind of tweaking that. Can you talk about how that's set up? Absolutely. So we, we, we kind of worked backwards. We said, what do customers despise about the investing industry, especially specifically asset management? Um, the elephant in the room has always been fees, mm-hmm. right? It's traditional financial planners often charge upwards of one and a half to sometimes three plus percent. Um, now, it's not totally clear that they're charging that because it, it, shakes, it shakes out in terms of expense ratios of the, the high fee funds that they're investing your money in. There's all sorts of annual administrative and custodial fees. And so most folks don't know that they're actually paying such high fees. Um, and that is- Right, no one ever cuts a check for their commission fees. Or exactly. Yeah, or and that's come under the limelight in, particularly, in particular over the last five to 10 years as passive investing has, you know, we've been in a 10-year market and a lot of active managers have, have not earned their keep. And so rightfully, there's been this conversation around, uh, you know, fees are so high. How many, you know, what, what am I paying in fees? Should I be moving to a lower cost provider? Um, and so we wanted to make sure that 
our referral program rewarded people and also solved, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, scratched that itch for the folks that came to us that are still maybe a little bit skeptical about asset management. You know, so our clients today, you know, we charge 1% of mm -hmm. assets per, per year. And uh, that's right around the, the, the active industry average. Um, but we wanted to make sure that our clients can reduce their fees to zero by, by spreading the word, helping us grow the community. And mm -hmm. so our referral program is unlike any other in asset management in that we're literally willing to give our product away for free for life um, on this current investment product if you refer four friends. So for each friend you, you, you invite, we reduce your fee by 25%. Right? So if a 1% fee per year, you share with four friends, um, for each friend you share with, you each get 25% off your fees. And so wow. you can, you know, we, we have many folks that are getting free asset management. Some are, have made five, 10 plus referrals. And the great part about that is that um, one, the economics make a ton of sense for us. So we've run the math and, um, and this, is a, this is a sustainable strategy. This is not like a typical kind of VC subsidized um, growth strategy that I know, I know a lot of startups um, are, are willing to endure. Um, it's one that's, that's sustainable, and the best part about it is that it, it, it solves that issue I talked about where folks are, are, that were previously skeptical about asset management or active management are now leaving their passive robo advisors, coming to Titan, spreading the word, getting free active asset management, which is, I think, un, you know, un, um, uh, unparalleled in terms of other peers willing to do that, and uh, we, we plan to keep that going. Oh, it's a very generous program. So, so let's go back to, um, you, you talked about being a one product company right now, and it sounds like you have some ideas in the pipeline that you guys are working on. Can you share a little bit, I guess, aspirationally, like where, where you're trying to go um, with the platform and, and the products on it? Yeah, it's, it's always a balance. We found that it's a balance between, you know, when you're an early stage startup, um, it's a balance between doing things that are innovative that your, your clients aren't necessarily asking for, but you, you think can be game changing in terms of, of the value proposition. Um, and then also just keeping up with competitive parity, right? Mm -hmm. So like looking around, like what do your, your peers have that you don't have? And is that table stakes? And if it's table stakes, it can actually be sort of a me too product. It doesn't have to be number one in its industry. If the, if the goal for your customer is just to get to competitive parity, right? It's that you don't want to lose clients because you don't have this thing that's table stakes. Mm -hmm. And so there's a number of features and products that we're thinking about along those lines. You know, like for example, a lot of folks in our industry right now, everyone's been coming out with a debit and credit card. I feel mm -hmm. like it's, I feel like everyone, there's this running joke on, on social media about, you know, in the long term, every company is a fintech company and every fintech company is a bank um, because it's, you know, it's traditionally, it's just a very good business model, right? It's every time you swipe, uh, your customers swipe, you run a transaction fee, mm -hmm. whether it's debit or credit. And, um, you know, and everyone has one of these cards in their pockets. Um, we're definitely thinking about things like that. But the more interesting and more innovative approach is obviously, you know, the old Henry Ford quote, you know, if people asked, you know, if I asked what they wanted, they wouldn't have said a car, they would have said a faster horse. Um, we want to make sure we're, we're building cars and have not just faster horses. And so as we think, you know, our, our guiding light is um, what do the top 1% of investors um, have in terms of uh, investment strategies at their disposal, right? So, so we, we're democratizing hedge funds right now. Uh, what about ideas like private equity? Uh, mm -hmm. What about private markets broadly? So think about like the startup space, think about mm -hmm. even investing in like local businesses. Um, obviously much more liquid, uh, much more fragmented, but, but an interesting idea. Um, we can think about international um, equities, right? So we're just US focused currently. Um, and then there's obviously much more alternative asset classes like crypto. Um, so in a nutshell, we like to work backwards. Again, we start with, you know, what our mission is, is to close this gap. So what do the folks that are on the other side of the gap have access to today? And then, you know, how can we work backwards and bring those to our clients? And so I think in five to 10 years, our, our mission is, you know, you come tight and you sign up in just a few minutes as a client. 
um, with a very, very low amount of money to start, a very low bar, and uh, you'll be able to get invested um, like some of the top endowments, some of the top you know, uh, money managers on the planet, and that'll be across asset classes. Um, you'll have, probably have a different money manager running each kind of slice of your overall pie, and, um, and we're, so we're excited to, to build out that roadmap. It sounds almost kind of like the vanguard of active investing in a way. If we, if we, if we get to be even a, a, a tiny fraction Slur, of yeah. what Vanguard has been, I, I think our, our clients, um, investors and employees will be extremely happy, but yeah, that, that'd be, a, that'd be an awesome outcome. So, so Clayton, I, I think we have time for one last question. Um, you mentioned in your intro that you're a co-CEO along as a co-founder. Um, can you, I think you're probably, we've done over 300 of these episodes. I think you're the first co-CEO that we've had on the, sh- on the show. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, how that works and I guess how, you know, what, why you came up with that structure and, and, and how it, how it um, manifests itself? Definitely. Um, so it's, it's, it's super uncommon um, for, for a structure like this to work. Uh, for, for Joe and I, Joe's my co-CEO, uh, we, we've, we found that it would, we, we honestly can't even uh, perceive it, it not working for us. Uh, we, we couldn't see it any other way. So, so Joe and I um, quickly became best friends. We met, like I said, met on the first day of school mm-hmm. um, in undergrad at Penn. Um, Joe and I are perfect complements when it comes to, to managing a company, um, when it comes to ideating and thinking about product development, when it comes to, to you know, raising money, hiring, et cetera. Um, I would characterize myself, and I think Joe would agree with me, um, that I tend to be more left-brained. So taking a very analytical, data-driven approach, you know, my background is finance and computer science. And so you know, everything I'm putting through a, a very analytical framework, um, sometimes a too, you know, almost too much so. Uh, Joe comes at it from a very different angle. Um, you know, Joe spent time in consulting, um, but his, he, he's much more creative than I think he lets on. And so um, in terms of day-to-day responsibilities, you know, Joe runs the creative side of Titan. So all the product development from a UI, UX perspective. Um, Joe actually taught himself design. So everything that you see essentially in the Titan app on the website, Joe actually designed himself. Um, and, and so Joe was thinking about product, UI, UX development. I tend to focus more working with our CTO, Max, who's also a co-founder on kind of the more the engineering and product development asset management side of the house. And so there's just, there's so many user problems to solve in this space. And we're a very lean team. We're only seven right now. Um, and we, we scaled to over 35 million of assets. And so I think, I think it, there's just so much work to be done, but I think Joe and I complement each other in a way that, you know, I think for, for a lot of folks, you know, the co-CEO structure doesn't work, but for us, it's, it's a, it's pretty, pretty great hybrid. No, I, I find it very interesting. I, I guess the corollary question is that you describe sort of how the, the work is split. W- at what point do you guys like have to make decisions together? Like uh, what, what type of decisions, I guess, require sort of two checkoffs? Yeah. So there's definitely areas of, of kind of core functional ownership where, you know, I will let go, Joe will let go uh, to the other um, because mm-hmm. there's that general trust. Um, and, you know, there's certain decisions where, you know, it, we will not, uh, you know, one of us, we will not waver if the other is strongly against. So like hiring is, is probably the number one. Like mm-hmm. if it's, we, we kind of like to abide by, you know, what Brian Chesky or Airbnb, I think, you know, the original motto was, which is, you know, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. When it comes mm-hmm. to a prospective employee, um, prospective candidate, we definitely take that approach with hiring. There's also things on the product roadmap front um, when we're talking about raising money from investors as well. Um, if, there's, if there's kind of, you know, any sense of like a yellow light, um, we consider that an automatic red light. Um, and, and the reason is because these are decisions that are going to affect the company much longer, uh, much longer than, you know, one of us may be, you know, a little bit, um, you know, a little bit uh, disappointed that we lost, you know, in a, a disagreement or, or an argument. Um, like these are things that will permanently affect the value of Titan. So 
we're, we're willing to, to sacrifice, you know, okay, maybe I didn't, you know, I, I really like this candidate, but, you know, the, the, you know Joe you know, maybe saw something that, that seemed a little bit off. Um, we just trust each other to make those decisions. So it's definitely not a consensus driven framework, but there are certain large, meaningful company decisions that, that we, we definitely require, um, you know, founder wide buy-in on. Thanks for sharing that with us. Clay, thanks for joining us on the Chairsheet Podcast today. You got it. Thanks for having me.